Good afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. Hello, Dr. Fitzgerald. It's almost evening. I was greeting you. I was... Uh, amending your po- statement? Posthumously amending my statement. Okay. You want to try again? Good evening. Uh, but it's not, though. It's still before six. Good late afternoon, Dr. Spiegel. <laughs> Good late afternoon to you, Dr. Fitzgerald. What's going on? What is it, Wednesday? It is a Wednesday. Today is a Wednesday. Early March. Uh, pollen is starting to be in the air. I've sneezed mm-hmm. a couple of times. Yes. And it is, we are now in March, which yep. means we are, this is the podcast birthday episode. Correct. So the last episode was 104. Mm-hmm. And so that was the two-year mark, correct? Because we do one a week? Yes. But, so it's kind of like the, we have now done 52 episodes twice. Twice, therefore, yeah. This is the first episode of... Yeah. But because third. last year was a leap year and all of that, we're... We're going to release this one the same week yeah. of the anniversary right. of the first. Right, right, right. And where were you two years ago, right, and, and all of that? Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to do uh, seasons. We did. You know, and uh, we, we sort of went away from the season thing recently. But this is sort of the beginning of season three, if we do the annual scale. so That's true. Episode one. Yeah. Well, and I think, so this is... is are we going to call this the last episode before we pivot, or have we already pivoted? We've already stopped putting the season number on the episode. Oh, yeah, that's episodes. true. <laughs> but I created new album art for yeah, our podcast. Does that show up this week or next? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. This week sounds okay to me, if, if that can go that way. Hello, uh, listener. Welcome to our business meeting. Right, right. I take I bring this meeting to order. We'll post the minutes in the show notes. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of a pivot going on. Yeah. I um, mean, we haven't uh, necessarily put our foot down and said, "Okay, the pivot has pivoted, and now we're off to this other thing." Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not a slow pivot, but it's a reorientation. We've talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think. I think we talked yeah, about it a we've bit. we've talked about it. So, yeah. We less can less less apologizing it. for being academics. Yep. Stone it. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Do it. So, what are we talking about today? We are talking about. Um, I guess it's kind of an academic thing. Mm-hmm. So if you are an academician, that's a word, right? Hmm. Um, I'm sticking with it. If you're you're a PhD, you get to make up words. I, I mean, Go if, forth. If, if you are an academician, this mm. conversation might you don't like it. I don't know if I like it. It, it reminds me of uh, how does your former relative say podiatrist? Podiatist. Podiatist. Yeah, it doesn't sound yeah. quite great. Um, um, if, it feels a little like that, but go on. Yeah, Academic. so if you're in academics, if you teach, if you administrate, if you staffify, right, in an academic way, um, this might resonate with you in a particular way. And and if you haven't academic in a while, right, uh, this might be a little look behind the curtain mm. about what's really, really happening here in the classroom and outside of the classroom with how... Uh, folks such as you and I, who are into our particular shtick, navigate um, our existence mm-hmm. as academicians. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of like it. Um, yeah. It's come out three times so far, so I think it's. I just it's, am it's, not it's, confident that I can say it. Therefore, yeah. I am giving it side eye. Therefore, I, I might not either. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I just got out of the classroom a little bit ago. Mm-hmm. You did? Right, so I taught uh, my last class for the week, lecture in a lab of Bio 101. Mm-hmm. 
you got a you got an English class left. I do. I have a Friday class on uh, Friday. <laughs> yeah, Friday classes. You have a, so your Friday class is on Friday. Yes, that's what I'm hearing. Cool. cool, yeah. cool. My Wednesday class was on Wednesday. This ah, week. that's so curious. Did you know that my Tuesday <laughs> class occurred on Tuesday? That's crazy. What are, what are the odds? Yeah, what are the odds? It's, it's is there a lot of coincidental mm-hmm. stuff is going on here? It happens until it doesn't um, go on. So you and I were having this conversation about um, why why we stay in the classroom. So you and I have both, Dr. Spiegel, um, have had experiences administratively within our time where we were, I don't want to say removed from the classroom. It sounds like we did something wrong. <laughs> but part of our responsibilities were not in the classroom. Yes. So we, we both started as faculty and then we took on some administrative Our allegiance roles. was divided. Our allegiance was divided. I think you more than me. Forever. So I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was employed here for one year teaching my contractual load as a 5-5. Five, five five ta- classes in fall, five classes in spring. Correct. Right? That's a lot. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, So I taught like that for one year. After that, I moved into a series of administrative appointments, which included, I was something called a technology application center mentor. Tech mentor. Mm -hmm. Which meant that I taught Blackboard and PowerPoint classes uh, to faculty. Then I was moved into a campus lead for the Achieving the Dream uh, College Success Initiative. Um, And I did those two things at the same time. At one point, I had over 50% release, which requires... That's rare. It is super rare and requires um, presidential approval, actually. So I did that for a while, and then I left that... You can only do that for two consecutive years or something for the... Yep, before they start. The state Uh, starts getting kind of... What are you really? Kind of queasy about it. Yep. So I went from that into being a, initially my title was program head. Mm -hmm. And then it got shifted into assistant dean. And then it got shifted into. (laughs) And then um, I pulled back from being assistant dean, but I got put back on release time to support our professional writing program. Mm. And then after that, I was like, that's it. I'm just going to be faculty. I'm just going to teach my classes and go home. What was your journey yeah, like? Yeah, here we are. Um, I taught a couple of years after I hired full-time of, of Light Just Bio. Mm-hmm. Like three, three and three. Three mm-hmm. in the fall, three in the spring. And that's when we say, but we have labs, right? But we have <laughs> labs. So don't forget about lab. So the hour load is pretty similar, I think, to a five and five. It is. Because my classes are four. Four yeah. and a half and yours are three. So it's like I it used, out. I used to think this was like a huge equity thing. It is not. Until I started realizing how long you spent in it is, it is not an equity thing. Right. No, it it's is about, not. It's about the same. I get um, it. Yep. The only uh, thing I had to do to better understand that was to meet a, a scientist myself. Yeah. Right? Imagine. Imagine yeah, if, so. if if we walked walked in each other's shoes for not long, we would appreciate the, yeah. the struggles and joys of the other side. Um and uh, I did that, and then I got I got put onto the campus honors committee, which mm-hmm. was a no release time position. It was yep. like, hey, Paul, do you want to? Okay, committee assignment is committee assignments go. It's not the worst. Yep. Uh, but that didn't do anything to my teaching load. And then shortly thereafter, um, I was asked to be the the campus campus lead mm-hmm. for the Nova Honors program, and that does come with a a modest mm-hmm. uh, out of the classroom reassigned time mm-hmm. thing, which was never. Hugely equitable for me, though. 
Was it three credits? Because it was three credits. Oof. Uh, it was three credits in the fall, three credits in the spring. My classes are four and a half credits. So I got to take, I got one, one class per year removed. So it's like, do I want to take that class in the fall or do I want to take that class in the spring? And yeah. the other semester, I just didn't have any. So you got so overload. So it's like, it was, yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't get overload. Um, because add those, add those extra one and a half credits to my teaching load. It doesn't take me to the overload limit. So I just lost a credit and a half of rat uncompensated. I never, so, yeah. I never understood that. Yeah. 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 Goodness. So the answer is no. Yeah. I, I did hear not that. Get no. Overload. Um, I just, I only had one class removed from that. So it was pretty trivial. You forfeited but was, the Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty release. trivial, but yeah. you know, like the, the additional, it didn't, for, it's like it, for it, it just didn't change anything for my boots on the ground experience of my teaching load. It's like it, it didn't, because my, my contractual obligation is uh, between 27 and 32 credits. Yeah. And so three and three science load is 27 so I was up at I was at twenty eight and a half, which does nothing for contract pay time anything. Because it's still under thirty. It's still under thirty two. Yeah, it's still under thirty two. So yeah. it's like it did nothing. We get me. overload if we go over thirty. I was never over thirty. Ah. I was at twenty nine and a half. Oof. Oof. So twenty twenty eight and a half. Twenty eight and a half. Mm. I don't think so. I never understood, but so this is just like things is different. Things is different, yeah, but it's just, um, I think one of the things that always strikes me um, about working in higher education, working in, you know, big institutions in general, is you never know how nuanced things are until you really understand the work that other people do. Yeah, Yeah. and this this is the part that gets a lot of people really frustrated is unless you actually have a relationship with someone or really have a friendship with somebody in a different division, oh, the scientists only have to teach three classes a semester and I have to teach five, you know? And there's fertile ground there for resentment, for Mm -hmm. conversations about equity, for all all this other kind of stuff. And in a very apples and oranges kind of way, um, I mean, why do you why do you have to teach thirty credits and I only have to teach twenty seven? This you know? was the question I asked for a long yeah. time. Well, it, it turns I out, <laughs> it turns out, you know, that uh, these the amount of credits that you are compensated for by contract and the amount of time spent engaging in activities is not as samey, mm-hmm. not as samey as they seem. And so the question then is like, well, why didn't I? Why, why did I only get in that administrative release time six credits? You know, for, for it to be meaningful to me, I have to have at least nine. Right. You know, one fall, one class in the fall and one in the spring does it. It's like, well, the person who was organizing it taught three credit, credit classes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. So that's what you got. So this is our conversation about the difference between equity and equality. <laughs> so everybody was treated with equality, mm-hmm. but everybody was not treated with equity. Yes. Um, so everybody got the exact same credit release, equality. Well, and this is why I think... It was, but it was not equity. Right. I think this is one of the reasons, and I don't want to get too into like the, the laundry of our employer, um, but I think at some point um, we moved away from, and I think lots of institutions have done this, we moved away from reassigned time and moved towards... Um, special assignment pay. Yeah, compensation. Yeah, yeah, because cash is cash is cash, but time 
is much more complicated to dollar here's a dollar there yeah a dollar yeah. here's a dollar there yeah but what i always need i don't need money i need yeah time. yeah I, i'm gonna say i was about to say this it's like i don't need money yeah. right i'm not here to i don't need monetary you know i don't need monetary i don't need a monetary argument to be made on why i should do this if yeah. i'm going to do something i need a time to do it mm-hmm. because i think you're in a lot of ways sherry the same boat that i am in the day is pretty full Right. So it's like, I don't really necessarily care how much money you throw at me. There's not too many spaces on the plate left to, to fit anything. Right. So it, we're at we're at the zero sum t- situation now where it's like, if I'm going to do anything else, it's going to have to be me saying no to something else or less sleep. And right. neither of those are things that I am prepared to do at this time. Yes. Yes. Neither yes. of those I'm prepared to do at this time. So um, I don't need your I don't need your money. What I need is you know some time to do this. And rats the only way to go. Reassigned out of the classroom thing. But there's there's hesitation there with with that rat. And um, moving on. So it's like I was doing that for a couple of, for six or seven years. You know I was living under the under the six credits per per academic mm-hmm. year. And then um, I moved up into the college the college wide role, which was fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so I, it was two and one. So it's like two classes in one semester and one in the, yeah, in the other. And and that wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't bad. It's like that gave me enough time to do everything that I sort of needed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the, 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 the two classes in the semester felt like normal. When you only teach one class in a semester, it's like, I'm really not in the classroom very often. <laughs> and that, that, that was, that was a little different for me. Yeah. It was a little different for me. Um, and before we just hit the record button on here, we were talking about um, arguments why to stay in the classroom. Because it's mm-hmm. like we could – we I mean, we love the work that we do here on campus with faculty development and compassionate classrooms and mindfulness and nonviolent communication stuff. Mm-hmm. Would you do that for 12 months? 12, 12 months, no teaching, 100% out of the classroom kind of thing. And I, I came down on no on that. That I'd, I'd want to spend. I, I I do really really enjoy time in the classroom for a lot of reasons. Right. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know if I can say like a hard no or a hard yes because I don't know. What, I don't know what that looks like, right? But yeah, I, might, we might love it. <laughs> we might, yeah. But it's like we were idiots for not doing this sooner. One of the things that I've always sort of known and that I've always that's always driven me into administrative work has been I do really love faculty development work yeah I love being a part of that and one of the things that I've always told myself about that is that I can I can have a bigger impact on more students if I develop the the faculty force than I can just by doing the work in my classroom right because it it expands out um and I I like working with my colleagues. I like yeah. Work. I, like I right. mean, I've been doing. Right. I actually started doing faculty development work when I was at Virginia Tech. Um, I worked for the Faculty Development Institute um, the summer after I graduated, and, mm. and I loved that mm. work. Um, and I did a little bit of it with the Virginia Tech Center um, when I came up here, but I couldn't sustain it because. I was an adjunct and I was, yeah, right, right. but, um, I've always loved doing that work. Um, 
And there are so many affordances to faculty development work that you don't get in the classroom. Like, for example, um, they never ask me to grade anything. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's very nice. Um, but there are there are things you lose. Um, and part of what I think I would lose is um, the opportunity to walk alongside people when they learn about concepts that radically changed my life mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah, like, I right. love that. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but before we press record, one of the things sort of related to this that you said um, was that you find a way to do the work that we're doing wherever you show up. Yeah, right. Um, we we uh, recently had an interaction Right with a wonderful, wonderful admin at our institution, uh, who's just delightful, about um, this this wellness work that we're doing here at, for the for the college. Mm-hmm. You know, putting together a like what what does a community co- large community college wellness program look like mm-hmm. um, for eventual rollout? And we were uh, fortunate enough to be offered the opportunity to work on that mm-hmm. uh, for reassigned time mm-hmm. uh, because the college is taking it real serious. It turns out, yeah. And uh, they've they've seen long enough how it goes when you don't have that, mm-hmm. and I think they're intelligently making a choice to well, let's see what that might look like if we wanted to do it, just from a curiosity point of view um, that they're taking very seriously. And any time that we sort of have these conversations, what's curious is that for all the huge amounts of time that um, institutions, not just ours, always treasures and promotes interdisciplinary collaboration between like faculty and things like that, mm-hmm. it rarely actually happens, you know, <laughs> to the, to the point where if, if you find out somebody in one department or division is actually working meaningfully with another, it's like, Oh wow. You know, and, and that, that story gets really blown up into a, into a, a positive, highly promoted thing because it's, it's a unicorn event. It's like, it, it yeah. so rarely happens. And so when it when it is seen, it like whoa, you know, and it, it turns into this cool thing. And we are a cool thing. Thank we you are for a cool noticing. thing. Yeah, we are a cool yeah. thing because this really <laughs> is an interesting way to go here. Because we we found so often with the way that we complement each other in our perspectives, uh, this is not going to be any surprise to anyone who has listened to this podcast for a meaningful amount of time. Uh, you're an English teacher, and I teach bio. Yeah. You know, and you're. I mean, we're not just in different department; we're in different divisions. Mm-hmm. We are on the same campus. But uh, we, our offices are about as far away from each other on campus as you could be, you <laughs> yep. know, which is which is kind of funny. Uh, a whole, I don't know if we'll ever do an episode on siloization of departments, but you know, it's it's hard to have conversations about academia where you don't talk about silos. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's pointed out often that um, we we are an English teacher and a, and a biology teacher and the thing that we spend more of our time on than just about anything else is neither English nor biology, <laughs> right? It's, it's the side hustles that turn out to be very meaningful to our college these days and it's nonviolent communication and present moment awareness and mindfulness mm-hmm. coming together to be applied specifically toward um, the faculty and staff experience of, of what it's like here and so we, we were kind of having, it's like, would you ever want to leave the classroom? And because we get, we get asked about this all the time. It's like, do you ever want to leave the classroom? Uh, do you ever want to just like be out and do this admin stuff together? Because I mean, the model that we're proposing has a full time mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. per- person at the top of it that only does that. And we're both like, well, I do not want to do that because we don't want to leave the classroom. Yeah. And so it's like, what is the classroom doing for us? Well, so it's I like, think, why do we, why do we not want to leave it? Yeah. Well, I think there's, so there's two interesting things to me with that. One is that how surprised people are that like neither one of us, like so often when I see people, not just in our industry, in any industry where they have a pet project, like a special project, like I think it is very culturally acceptable to be someone who drives themselves to be the top of whatever they're building. Right. Right. Um, so you want to be the top, the, the pinnacle, right? That, that's what means you have succeeded. Identified with the program that you're pinnacling. Yes. Um, and so one of the things that I think was radically different for me as we were starting to look at what this works looks like is that whereas I used to propose writing programs where I could only see it working if I was the top, if I was the leader. And this new thing that we're, we're working on, um, my new way of seeing myself within this institution, I in no way see myself at the top. And I think, I think it's great whoever has the skill sets to want to be in those places, but I'm interested in building a coalition of people who work alongside each other. Right. I'm not interested on climbing on top of each other to get to some, you know, arbitrary apex. Yeah. Right? Like, it's, right. it's just such a different way of thinking. And part of it, I was looking back at a piece that I'd written, I guess, maybe within the last year, where I talked about my own humility, sort of, in understanding that when I was developing writing programs, like, I had the, the violence of my own certainty. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't, I know enough about myself to know that when I'm doing that kind of leadership, I get so certain that I know what I'm doing that I stop being curious. Yeah. And yeah, I think, right. I think so for me, I think this different kind of positionality helps me stay curious. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I found something similar in my own experience. Like when, when I was actually the, the higher up in the organization that I sort of go or get, and the, I think it's, I, I almost said it, it gets worse the higher I go. And it's like, I'm sticking with that. It gets yeah. worse the higher I go. Um, the more more of my time is trying to make sure that people do things my way. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to do that. No. I don't want to do that, right? Because you end up, when you're all the way at the top, then all of your time is spent making sure people do things your way. And that's not what I want to do. No. So, you know, the, the conversation we were having, like right before we hit, was um, the the classroom is, a, is the testing ground mm-hmm. for, for all of this stuff. And... It's like I, I, I think for myself anyway, as soon as I totally 100% leave the classroom to just focus on this, I've left by choice the, the proven ground for the work that we're trying to do with faculty and staff mm-hmm. that they're going to use in the classroom and with our students. So it's like I got to keep that foot in there yeah. to make sure that I'm being honest with myself on, on what the student experience really is by mm-hmm. and not by hearing about it or doing a survey, by like knowing that kid. As right. their professor and what's happening in my classroom and what what that I think that is a great idea is actually a catastrophe, which is occasionally. Yep. And what really is, it's like, hey, this, there actually is something to this. Um, I, I can best, I can best um, help faculty or serve faculty in their own growth and development 
um, as faculty by being faculty myself. Yeah. And what do faculty and doing faculty things like Mm -hmm. go to class, grade stuff. Well, that doesn't feel good. That feels pretty gross. I wonder how much stress and tension there is in our colleagues just because grading is gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's quite a bit, I, I suspect. But there was an article I was just reading the other day that this whole, you know, turn things in on time, you know, grade stuff. You know, zero to sixties and fifty nine is an F. Sixty to is is like that's not working out. And more people than people think yeah. are starting to move away from that because mm-hmm. um, something that I was ranting about several years ago: um, the greatest student gets is not really about their ability or the knowledge base. It's um, how do you do on performance tests in, in in a given particular amount of time. Yeah, it's how fast you can do things, not. How well can you understand something? Right, and which and makes that, it very context dependent to what else is happening in that student's life. Exactly, that grade doesn't under, doesn't represent in any way what the kid can do or what the kid can know. Right. Well, and there used to be a lot of pressure um, conversations within English departments about how many drafts we let students go through, um, because people would look at a student's writing that is co- super context dependent and draw conclusions about what they're capable of. Right. Um, that had nothing to do with really the student's linguistic ability, but were about, they really were, they were about where they were, what they had going on. Um, so we used to get criticized for allowing multiple drafts within our classes. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. Right. You know, well, it, it is seems, ridiculous. seems to me it's, you know, it's yeah. Like, why would you, it would, I mean, to me, the equivalent is like a math class where you're not allowed to do practice problems. Yeah, you right. just have to take the test. Yeah, you have to hit it right the first time. It doesn't make no sense, practice. right? But so, and but this is, this is the way, um, you know, language has been used as a tool for oppression. Right. Um, and right. these kinds of things allow it to, to be so. Um, but for me, I find, I find that I can come along and root for my students' growth as humans and growth as writers better when I come to everything they do um, with compassion and empathy um, and make that sort of the center. And in the end, we will eventually get to grades. But right now, like, so much of what I do with students, like, the grade just gets in the way of the learning. Yeah, it really does. Everything becomes about it. It does. Um but thinking back about, you know, how we relate to our colleagues in, you know, faculty development, if we're not in the classroom ourselves, I think my classroom is the place that makes me stay curious. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right? Because totally. there's so little, and I think this is what makes some people really not like the teaching profession. There's so little you can yeah. actually control about a classroom. Um, and so each time you go in there... You have, you know, 25 people or so who you have no idea what happened to them that morning. Right. And you are tasked with trying to figure out how to help them move outside their comfort zone to accomplish something they haven't before and to not destroy each other in the process. Right. Like, this is a really hard task that we try to do. Yeah, it is hard. Right? Um. But if I don't come to my classroom super curious about what's happening in them and hold them to some sort of curiosity over what's happening in me, it's not going to yeah, go. Yeah, what's going to happen? Right, you might, at that point, just go to Khan Academy. You know, it's like at that point, just read yeah. the textbook. It's like there's no, there's, no, um, there's no profession to develop. Right. 
there's no profession to develop. Right. You know, because, I mean, because professional development in every experience I've ever had is not one where it's ever about the content. No. Of a thing. It's not, I mean, you don't, as a biologist, your professional development workshop isn't about, I mean, that's what the, con, that's what the science conference meetings are for. You know, it's, right. it's never about the content. It's, it's always about, you know, presentation, style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting to know your students or strategies or hacks for getting them to turn their cameras on on Zoom or mm-hmm. to come to class on time or turn stuff. You know, it's all, it's all. Uh, a lot of times it, it sort of feels to me sort of like ways to sort of game the system a little bit to, yeah. to coerce students to do what you sort of want. And I say that in a way that makes it sound a lot worse than it is. I mean, there are some great professional development programs out there. Mm-hmm. I haven't always had most positive experiences with them myself. And I have not, not always participated positively as a provider of professional development experiences. Mm. I think in the past, I think I've, I may have engaged in somewhere I didn't do a particularly good job, mm. you know, of, of conveying, what could be something that would be useful to someone. So, yeah. cause I think I just used, I, I didn't do a lot of it, but when I did, it was just like, like it, it wasn't based on like a true useful, what happens in my own classroom right. kind of thing. It was what, what is, what is professional development supposed to look like if I do it? Yeah. So we're going to talk about how to make PowerPoint slides without too many words on them, which is important. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about that earlier, right? We What's were. your rule, right? Seven words, 49 seven words, 49 yeah. words. Seven by seven. Yeah. Yeah. After um, that, it's a handout. After that, it's a handout. And uh, so I was like, I, I did, but I mean, as, as we do, and that's what's so so weird about what you and I are doing, is that to a whole lot of people, the way that we used to do it, that, that we didn't find particularly compelling, useful, or, or shockingly interesting, looked exactly like it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And hey, job well done, folks. Like, great, thanks. And on to the next thing. And it sort of turns into just another workshop that people can go to yeah. during a professional development week that they never circle back to again just because it's just lost in the morass of more of the same professional development stuff that you can do. So I think when 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 people are really trying to do new and interesting and innovative things, um, you got to field test that shit before mm-hmm. you, you, <laughs> yeah. before you do it. And that's hello classroom. I mean, right. they are test subjects through and through. Yeah. My, my students are through and through. And most classes I go into it, not knowing whether this thing is going to work well or have the desired result mm-hmm. or how it's going to land. And sometimes it's because of me. Sometimes it's because of them. Sometimes it's because of whatever. But there's a lot of reperspectivizing that can happen in that classroom. And where we were before, you know, in the conversation before we hit the record button was it doesn't matter if it's English or bio. Right. Right. And that's when I started to say something interesting and you're just like, Dip-dip. yep, that's when I told you, stop, shut it down, shut it down. You gotta um, say something good. You got to record gotta it. record it for the internet. Yes. For the internet. Yeah. But based again on these, you're an English teacher, we're a biology teacher, we're doing this other thing. So... what's going on here right yeah well and i think so we'll get to that part of this is reminding me of a conversation we had so we offered um our compassionate classrooms workshop recently yeah we could do ago. um and one of the things that came up within that conversation was sort of um within a faculty member i think a sense of overwhelm right um because we've done all this work with compassion and then her question and i think it's a question a lot of people have and I ultimately, I think it comes to what the difference between biology and English quite nicely. 
Um, because she asks, like, how am I supposed to do this too? There's already yeah, so much right. for her to do in her class. How is she supposed to do this too? And I thought you had a good response to that. And I'm wondering if you remember what yeah, it was. Yeah, well, I remember sort of the flavor of the response that I had. Because, I mean, it, it's natural, of course. You know, I, I kind of go through this still a little bit. I mean, we have our our SLOs and our course mm-hmm. content summaries and and all of this. The detailed stuff. I don't know what it looks like for English 111 or 112, you know. But it's like the bio one. Oh, the cell and macromolecules and Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium and Gregor Mendel and Mendelian genetics, right? All the stuff that is par for the Bio 101 course that we're sort of supposed to do. And therein lies our, our focus and our objective is to hit those hit those components. And I got 15 weeks to do it, so no yeah. screwing around. You got to get right on it and do them and do them well. And then this work that we do, you know, how do you bring compassion in your classroom? How do you bring nonviolent communication into it? makes it something that is overlain on top of mm-hmm. the content. And and in that regard, it does seem like, and you want me to do this too, it's it's even more work that you have to do. God, not only do I have to, you know, teach all these kids all this content, but now you want me to be nonviolent when I communicate with them <laughs> as well, and I have to do compassion as well, and we have to do, you know, it's like, my God, how many how many hours in a day does one actually have? I only have so much time. And it becomes zero sum, where it's like to actually bring compassionate classroom practices in the classroom. It's at the expense of Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium or Gregor Mendel's dihybrid crosses or, I don't know, proper use of exclamation points. There's my – I could probably – it was probably the most insulting thing that I could say to an English teacher, I think. Dangling participles, what do I know? But I'm not the English teacher here, so I don't have to know, right? My words look good when I write them, so good enough anyway. I'm getting a pretty dirty look right now. Oh. <laughs> So, I mean, the suggestion hmm. that I offered was, you know, what if you just sort of flip that around, right? Rather than fitting nonviolence and compassion into a classroom, you know, have a nonviolent, compassionate classroom where you teach biology. Mm-hmm. You know, so let the – the because the professional development is not supposed to be something that you do. It's supposed to be the foundation on which the content is delivered. Right. right? So it's, you know, com- compassion and nonviolence or PowerPoint design or – whatever mm-hmm. um, is not supposed to, to be something you also do. It's, it's, it's not the roof. It's the foundation. It's right. The, it's the basement that the thing is built on. So you wouldn't put a basement on the, on the top of a house. It goes on the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And the house mm-hmm. is built on that foundation. So seeing these things that we offer workshops in as foundations, not roofs. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Is the shift that I think a lot of people find welcoming. Mm-hmm. Well, but it is it is a huge shift, though, right? Um, it's thinking of it as the sort of added value, and we get this life lesson, too, right? Yeah, Instead right. of, um, I think one of the things that I fundamentally believe at this point is that um, learning, it's not that learning can't take place in in a non-compassionate context. I think there are plenty of people who have learned in conditions that are, you know, horrifying. VVC, very violent communication. Yes. Um, But I think um, compassionate contexts allow people to thrive. Um, And so the more I believe that, the more I believe that, like, I want to create a compassionate classroom where people can learn about rhetoric. Mm-hmm. 
I don't care if they learn about exclamation points. Uh, what do Paul. I know? What do I know? I don't I'm know. a rhetorician. Come on. Why <laughs> you knew me. Anyway. Exclamation point. Mm. He's getting an email with exclamation points yeah. after well, I, this. I, I overuse the exclamation point. I think we both do. But, but you're offering a judgment of writing by saying that. Yeah, that's fair. Um, if we all just looked at emails and asked, what is this person trying to do with their usage of exclamation right. points? We would be having a different conversation. Yeah, we probably would. Um, but, you know, we, I mean, but for me, that's a lot of my students come into the classroom with so many rules about what they should and shouldn't do as writers, as readers, as speakers. Um, and so in order to get them in a place where they can learn, I feel like, Half my work is to convince them that I'm there to teach them and to help them, um, that I'm not baiting them into something sure. so that I can tear them down. Right. Um, because I think a lot of my students really fundamentally believe um, teachers are there to tell them what they're doing wrong. Yeah. I, I, I think you, I agree. I think you're right. Because mm -hmm. um, that, that's what I get a lot you know, from my own students when they – when they come into my classroom for the first time, mm -hmm. you know, cause it's the, I mean, the question I get more than anything else, you know, is this right? Mm -hmm. Is this right? Is this right? Is this right? It's like this, this incessant desire to perform in a way that I can evaluate in an objective way. Yeah. It's like, I, that is not how I want to spend my, the bulk of my time on this, on this earth is telling you whether or not you're right. Right. You know, it's like, you're I, right. I, yeah, I don't, yeah, exclamation point. Um, I don't, but it's like, I, I don't want you to be right. I want you to be free and happy. Mm -hmm. that, that's ultimately my goal. And it's like, I, I, I want to have a classroom where my students feel safe. Mm -hmm. I just do. I'm not interested in being a, leading a classroom where people feel like it's, it's a dangerous place mm -hmm. where there's a lot of risk. I'm just not interested. And, but you still you yell want, at them and shame them. Yeah, but they already <laughs> but they know that I love them, right? So they're it's like, yeah, he yells at us because he loves us. And it's like it's it isn't a tender hearted way. Uh, it is. It's it's all good. Um and a lot of work goes into that environment. Mm -hmm. You know, and um a lot of work goes into creating that environment where we can um uh speak freely at each other. And it's like, Bob, you're screwing that up. Let's work on it, you know, and then, mm -hmm. and then we do. And it's like where it's like we, we can say things, you know, in, in, in jest. I mean, so, sort of in jest, but it's like we have to be able to laugh at our learning experience or else we're sunk. Right. Yeah, we're, or we're sunk. So, you know, when Bob know, Bob, when, I, when Bob hears him say, Bob, you're screwing it up. We need to do this a different way. It's like, yeah, it looks like you're right. I'm like, yeah, it looks like, yeah, let's, mm -hmm. let's work on it. How can I, you know, and then we sort of go through it and it's all sort of fine. And that's not, you know, the last thing I would want is somebody who's a faculty or teacher saying, tell students that they are screwing up. And then, <laughs> it's like, that's, that's not the lesson here, right? Because right. it's like how, how we express ourselves in the classroom is unique in particular mm -hmm. to, to each and every one of us. It's creating that foundation of compassionate support and, and safety yeah. that allows us to bring who we really are. And I'm not a big meanie. Uh, it brings who we really are. To the classroom in a way that, I mean, the students pick up on this stuff faster than you, than you do, I think. Yeah. You know, you being the, the person in the front of the room. They know the score pretty quick on what, what's going on in a classroom and with the person. They can see people pretty clearly these days. Um, and it's like if you're in there trying to be all stern and, 
you know, it's, it doesn't feel like a safe place. And they're, they're going in, grading your stuff and checking out. And it's like, oh, and on to the next one. It's like, they're going to see that right away. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to be particularly interested in participating in your, your, in your agenda yeah. of, that, of that classroom. I really do find that students show up for me the way I show up for them. Yeah, absolutely. Every time now, they have. Not, well, I wouldn't say every time. I, I I don't think 100%, right? Like, they're all complicated people who have complicated days, right? So there are sometimes, mm. you know, when students don't show up the way they want. And you can tell a lot of times. Oh, like, sure. They're just not able to Crawling bring their in the classroom, you know. Yeah. Um, but what I do know is that if I show up defensive uh my class is going to take a defensive stance too they read these vibes man yeah and they they totally get these vibes like yeah whatever energy i'm bringing to the classroom they look to me as the model for what's going to happen for the day yeah you're not fooling anyone no and so one of the things that we you and i really push pretty hard um about clear statements to people who go to our workshops is the work to be done here is not teaching you how to do a different thing in your classroom. What is the work you're doing with your on your on and with yourself? Yeah. To do this, it's like you don't have a compassionate classroom by following this checklist when you go into your classroom. Yeah. It's like let's let's take the bandaid off of a couple of things. Let's take the let's take the bandage off of uh, what's going on within you. Mm-hmm. See what's going on and compassion in the classroom that's authentic comes from compassion for self. Yes. And so you know. You don't get a compassionate classroom by being compassionate in the classroom. You get it by compassion for self, mm-hmm. self-compassion and compassion with others. And once that once that takes hold within you, every room you're in is a compassionate one, Yeah, including the classroom. Mm-hmm. So it's so interesting. Um, this morning I had a, a nice chat with a colleague, um, sort of unexpected. Um, we ran into each other, started talking, um, and this colleague – who, if she's ever listening, I hope she won't mind me sort of walking through this experience. But so she's having an experience with a with a class that she's really looking for mutuality, right? Like she's she feels like she's showing up with compassion and she does not feel like her classroom is a place where she can receive compassion. Mm-hmm. And I know I've been there and it stinks. Like it... Yeah. It stinks. And so this morning she was preparing to go to this class that just hasn't gelled in a way that feels, it sounds like safe for her to be in. Yeah. And so she was expressing that frustration. And finally, one of the things I said was, have you told them? And she was like, Whoa, would you do that? And I was like, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, this is one of the things and it kind of speaks into like siloing in some ways, like part of that bringing the compassionate classroom and bringing compassion for yourself is I can't like button my, my humanity up um, and like roll myself into a cocoon for the 75 minutes I'm in the classroom and then like let myself out and be untouched. Right. Right. So whatever I'm bringing, um, a couple of days ago, I, I got into like a tiny little car accident on the way home. And then I drove into work the next day. And that had been the first time I'd been behind the wheel since. And I was really rattled from it 
by the time I got into the yeah, classroom. Right. And I just told them that. Like, I was just like, here's what you need to know. This yeah. is what I'm bringing in. Like, I feel rattled. Yeah. Right? How many of you have been in an accident? You know, it takes a little while to shake off. Oh, yeah, we all know that. Okay, cool. That's where I'm at. Where are you at? Um, so I just encouraged her to, to just tell them. And the class goes from there. Right? Yeah, it's like, it's fine. You know, because my guess is they just have no idea because they're showing up, doing the best they can, and they have no idea. Like, I think in a room that's that big, there's probably at least one person that if she said, coming to this class hurts because I feel like I can't connect, mm. I bet there's one person in that room that would be willing to connect with her. Totally. Um, but I think we sometimes think of the classroom as a place where we can't, it's not like I plan to go get all my needs for like love, affection right. in the classroom, but it's not a place where I have to check my needs at the door. Right. Right. I'm glad we agree. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. So the question then sort of comes down to, it's like, how is a biology class different from an English class? Yes. You know, and that's sort of, and that's sort of <laughs> where that went. That's sort of where that went yes. uh, yesterday. Well, that's the where it was going to go. Compelling earlier. thing, right? That I was going to, I was going to say, right? And how, you know, showing. And, and so it's like humanities, I get, but in, with a scientist, how can that cause possibly a compassionate class, right? Because that's the shtick that I always get from folks. It's like, oh, but you're a scientist, shouldn't you be measuring things? <laughs> There's no room for compassion in the sciences. That's a humanities thing. I mean, the word human is in the title, you know. So it's like that's it's where true. We, in science and you know. STEM, you measure stuff in humanities. You talk about how you feel all day, and, and that's sort of the <laughs> the the, uh, the uh, high altitude view of the difference between the left side and the right side of campus, so to speak. Yeah. But I mean, that's the way they do it. So all the humanities folks are over here, and all the scientists are over there, and that's where they measure stuff. And over here, that's where you feel things. We and got logic, and we got pathos. Yeah, and, we got pathos. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so. We get this, you know, there are plenty of opportunities that I've seen in, in this work where you have been extraordinarily scientific mm. in your approach to things. Thank you. You know, and, and I think, I suspect, I would offer you to convince me or to remind me that the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. That, you know, there's tons of opportunity for uh, compassionate classrooms, safe classrooms in, in a bio class. Mm -hmm. And... So they're, they're sort of the sherry I get, but Paul, what are you doing over here talking about how people feel about stuff? And it's like, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a good question. And uh, the conclusion that I sort of come to is they're all the same class. Yeah. You know, the topic is the same. You know, every class is the same. The content is secondary. There's only one topic. Yeah. And it is. And it is. Uh, what is the human experience? Uh -huh. What is this experience I'm having? Yeah. Um, you just... It's just what direction do you want to look at it from? But they're all the same. Mm -hmm. what, is the, what is the human experience? And in, in that, if we can just kind of start with, okay, compassion for myself and others as we investigate the human experience and how we communicate with each other and how our meat suit works mm -hmm. in biology or the history of this trajectory through time or um, the things, the crazy things we do with money mm -hmm. or uh, – what people do on a Saturday night 
Well, and the I guess cre- I guess that's my my interpretation of sociology is what people do. That, I don't know. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's been many many years since I've taken a sociology course. But it's what an interesting think? like what the crazy things we do with money as a result of the way the meat suit performs. <laughs> right, 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 right. And <laughs> and I guess we could go down the list of what each one of the you know major fields are. Sort of physics. It's like how are all the ways the universe is trying to kill you or constrain you? <laughs> Chemistry. Yeah. It's like what is the particulate nature of this of this show? Or how can you accidentally blow yourself up? Yeah, uh, math. What is the language that we all have to use but we really don't like to admit <laughs> yeah. is, is math, you know? Um, it's, 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 it's a curious thing. And, and when, when thought of in that way, there's room for compassion in, in all of it. Mm-hmm. There's room for nonviolence in, in all of it. And to, to go straight from I'm teaching biology so we're not going to talk about how we feel – or anything like that, we're just going to skip to the memorization part. It's like, if, if you're going to do that, why bother going on a, on a vacation to experience new things? Just look at the map. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, I have a week off, so I'm going to look at the map of Florida for a week. <laughs> Yay, vacation. And it's like, no. There's, there's opportunity to build on the human experience in each of these unique ways, all of which can come from a foundation of compassion and nonviolence. Yeah. And mindful awareness. Well, I think... It's interesting to me because one of the things I learned from my mentor, um, Louise, is, is kind of that like all fields of study are on the are are available for for whatever trying we're trying to think or through or understand. Yeah. And of course they are, right? Um, and so when you read through her writing, she goes to different fields depending on the problem she's trying to solve. Yeah. Right. And. And that's what humans do, right? Like the whole reason we have all these different disciplines is because we've been trying to solve different kinds of problems. Um, And that's all it is, is different things can help us solve problems. Um, And so within my English class, like there are a lot of times where I talk to students about what the meat suit is doing, right? Right. Um, It's hard to write a paper when you're hungry, Yeah. right? Right. So one of the things, you know, as I sent students off to to finish writing over spring break, you know, I told them, like, be kind to yourself. Buy yourself the snacks you're going to want while you're writing right before the papers do, right? Rest up over the weeks because I know you're going to pull that all-nighter. Yeah, totally. Right, like... Um, they are students after they, all. Right? You can't change you can't change the animal, but you right. can you can offer it advice. Right. Um but you know, it's it's sometimes it's super simple stuff like understanding you know, the heart shows up in my classroom. Yeah. Um because I will ask students, "Okay, so we're going to go around the room and we're going to do this thing and you're going to have to say this kind of thing." And then I say, Okay, how many of you are suddenly noticing that your heart is pounding incredibly fast? Mm. What's happening there? What's going on? Because the heart does that. Yeah, it does. And and it's not going to stop. And that's the heart doing what the heart does. That doesn't mean it's malfunctioning. No. So know that the heart's doing the thing. The heart does that. What do we do? Like, I, I'm literally putting my hand on my heart yeah. as I'm talking yeah. about it. Right? Well, really on my neck, uh, which is where I feel my pulse typically. Um, but like checking in and knowing, okay, this is, this is what I'm doing. How do I, how do I ground myself so I can do the thing? Um, understanding just a little basic biology in an English class doesn't hurt. Yeah. Right. And, and vice versa. I mean, there was a big push a few years back about this, this sort of writing across the curriculum notion. 
mm-hmm. you know, where in every, I mean, to be honest, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but it's like in, in every class, somebody's supposed to write a, a research paper. How many term dirty looks can Sherry give yeah. Paul? Yeah, right. It's like, no, I go know on. Much about it. Uh, yep. yeah. We're writing across the creepy minute. So it's like in all the classes, students should be writing things. Mm-hmm. And the big, the big hoodoo of the whole thing was, you know, I teach biology. It's not a writing class. What do I know about writing? Why should I have to teach writing? Isn't that for the English? Fa-? You know, you get this big stupid stink that mm-hmm. isn't anything. You know, I can't. How I don't have time to teach them how to write and to teach them science. And it's and it just becomes this this other thing. Yeah. You know, just like compassion. Yeah. It yeah. Is, it's like ah, it's just this other thing to do. So, uh, undoubtedly, whether you like it or not. I think for for everyone who's spends time in a classroom in a space holder role, uh, every student, like you said, every student walks in in a different place with a different knowledge base, with a different history base, and you want your all your whole class to go along with you on a trip, mm-hmm. right? Well, you got to start from the same place, right? And so there are very few things that that really count as the true shared human experience for what everyone can relate to with each other, mm-hmm. and it's like. Food is good. Every once in a while, I like to drink some water. Seems good. Uh, <laughs> prefer it fizzy. Prefer it fizzy, but I'll, I'll settle for the alternative. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's like where, where and is that common ground? Yeah. That lets us come together at the at the starting line of a thing to walk a path for a semester and, and learn about interesting stuff. And there's never been a single semester that I've ever taught in my entire life where I have uh, covered as much content as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Not once. And the lesson I learned is not to go faster. The lesson I learned is to lower my expectations. And it's like, however much less stuff that I end up going into more deeply or just like how much uh, remedial stuff that I have to do, I don't even know what remedial means any longer, uh, sort of have to do, I've always somehow managed to get through all of the required SLO course yep. content things, but it's like I'm I'm teaching a fourth of what ridiculous detail that I brought into my first year of teaching or whatever it is, but somehow I'm still doing everything that I'm supposed to be supposed, doing. So yeah. it's like I, I I was I was teaching the graduate level, yeah, you know, for 100 level biology students. It's like my God, yeah. No wonder they looked lost all the time. I wasn't even acknowledging them as actual people. Yeah, well, they're gonna have plenty of time to live and understand what we're offering throughout their lifetime. Like yeah, you, right. they don't have, to, they're not going to have the whole of their own, own experiences with these concepts in our classroom. Oh, but they don't want to get behind. Oh, behind is a fake construct. Yeah. Get, go behind, get behind in everything they do. So yeah. You know, little, uh, people are better off than I think they think they are. Indeed. You know, with the resources they have. Not all, right? With the resources they have and what they can bring to a classroom joyfully with yeah. them, right? And uh, who are you to squelch that, I think, and to, and to not treasure and value those shared diverse experiences in the classroom. And so that starts with a compassionate approach. And if you skip it, you're losing out on a huge amount of the richness that you can have in a classroom. Mm-hmm. So we try to, again, it's like don't make compassion something you do in the classroom. Make compassion something you do. In every room you're in, right. including the classroom. The foundation. It's not the roof, it's the foundation. Yeah. 
And may it be the thing you bring with you into the room. Into the room. Because mm-hmm. you can bring it there too. Yep. And in a future episode, we'll talk about the whole concept of work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> and how we don't and believe in it. How we don't believe in it. We believe in life balance. Yeah, life balance. Yeah. You know, yeah. life balance. The work was a difference. Hmm. So, yeah. Cool. I think that's the only way to do it though. Because what are you going to do? You're going to be nice and compassionate and kind and loving and generous and supportive and everything in your classroom and then you're going to go home and be a total asshole it's like wh- ha, some what? days <laughs> yeah i mean but i mean the opposite is is the opposite is acceptable you know be a, a lovely delightful kind colleague and then be really stern and officious and in non-caring and dry in the, in the classroom it's like why why what you know yeah i want to live an integrated life yeah so, yeah right and that's ultimately what all this is about it's having it an integrated life. And if you like it or not, you are integrated into the lives of your students and vice versa. Indeed. And this is nothing more than an acknowledgement that that is true. Mm-hmm. And true. if you don't want to do that, and, and, if they want, and if they don't want to do that, there's YouTube. There's YouTube. Go to Khan Academy. It's a fantastic resource. Yeah. But if we're, if we're bowing to the desire for the, the student and the, and the professor or the space holder to be interacting with each other for quite a chunk of time not a bad idea to show up as a human it's not the worst idea i'm for it i'm for it too awesome great thanks paul thank you sherry this was a fun one to record it was all good stuff we will now let these fine people integrate back into their lives very good cool very good uh we'll see everybody soon i hope you like this one next week is spring break for us Woo! yep cool um so we'll see you on the flip Bye.